0: Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, I just pray for everyone that tunes in to this broadcast today. I just pray for your encouragement. In the the minutes that we share together, I I pray God that you would give us inside wisdom and revelation. We believe that when we open your word, Lord, you speak life to us and your word is transformational. Of all the things that we could read or listen to or watch, Lord, this is that one thing that comes from you that is absolutely transformative. And so Lord, we place an expectation today on your word we ask, Lord, that you would move in and through us in a mighty way, and that through this time, that, Lord, it would be a catalyst into our day and even into our week, God, that each one of us would dig into your word and find the treasure that is truly there. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we um, as we simply look at a few chapters and verses today, uh, that you would not only encourage us through it, but show us how to dig for ourselves. That's That's one of the goals that we have here. I thank you for everybody tuning in. Lord, bless them richly in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. My name is Ben Dixon, and I serve as the lead pastor of Northwest Church and the director of Ignite Global Ministries. Every day, Monday through Friday at 8 a.m., we do what's called the Daily Word, and that's what this is. And we're simply going through the Word of God just As a daily, uh, through our daily reading plan, our Bible reading plan, and that's we're using the Operation Solid Lives reading plan, which goes through the New Testament twice and the Old Testament once in a year. So, if you follow us or you just at least follow the plan, you will go through the Bible in a year. If you've never done that before, I couldn't recommend it more. This is something that I've discipled all of my family into and probably almost everybody that i've personally discipled has actually gotten their way around the bible several times because my belief is that you can hear the best teacher in the world but if you if you as humanly speaking but if you don't go to the word of god for yourself then you're not giving over more of your time and more of your uh, more of your life to the teacher the holy spirit who can actually give us revelation that no man can give. And so this is my heart. This is my desires for every person to be in the word themselves. And so I believe the Holy Spirit not only breathed those words into those who pen them, but he also breathes into our heart as we read them. And so may God bless you as you study his word. And this is simply just a time of encouragement where I could share with you in an unprepared way what the Holy Spirit puts on my heart as I journal through the Word. I spend about an hour in the Word of God every day, approximately, and I write notes. And of those notes, I'm just simply sharing those with you. I don't want to prepare sermons. I just want whatever I have and whatever comes to my mind, whatever comes out of my life with the Lord, to simply be conveyed to anybody that would join me during this daily Word. And so God bless you today. I want to let you know if you don't have a Bible reading plan and you'd like that, please email me at ben at nwcforsquare.org. Ben at nwcforsquare.org, and we'll make sure to get you that. We are today studying Joshua chapter 14 and Joshua chapter 15 as well as Philippians chapter 1. I will tell you right up front, we're gonna spend almost all of our time in Philippians chapter 1, and here's why. In the story of Joshua, what we're reading in Joshua chapter 14, we've seen a lot of the Canaanite conquests. Israel has come into the promised land. Their leader is Joshua at this time. Obviously, he succeeded Moses. And as we've been following along in this account, we've watched that they've entered into many battles in order for them to inherit the promised land. It was required of them to dispossess the people, the Canaanite people, the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Ites, many of the Ites, about seven different people groups in the land of Canaan, and they were to dispossess them. Historians believe somewhere around 50 to 55 battles that they actually engaged in during their time of dispossessing the land of Canaan. That's a, an incredible amount of of wars that they had to go through, especially for a people that had never grown up in war. This was not something that they were used to. They had seen a few battles, but the, they had become certainly a resilient people as they were in the wilderness probably a tough people so they're going through these battles and what we see here in joshua chapter 14 is not that all of the battles are behind them but many of them are joshua 14 is where they begin to divide up the land according to what god said to moses now i want to remind you that this is the promised land that god had given to abraham isaac and jacob these are their ancestors this was a promise that they were carrying for hundreds of years, reminded of that promise when Moses enters into the picture and tells the people of Israel 400 years after their slavery in Egypt that there's a promise and a promised land that you might vaguely remember because your ancestors passed down this story, but he was able to convey to them what Yahweh had intended for the people of Israel. So now they're going into the promised land, they're conquering all of the, all of the people groups dispossessing the land. And there was a word in this promise of this land that this land would be allotted to the various tribes, 12 tribes of Israel, one tribe, the tribe of Levi, was not to get any inheritance per se because their inheritance was the presence and the ministry of the Lord. And so they did have cities of refuge that some of the tribes were, it was necessary for them to, um, to kind of carve out a few towns for them. But other than that, the the Levites were to be completely cared for by the Lord and by the people as God prescribed to the people how they would take care of them. So in chapter 14 of Joshua, Caleb makes a request to Joshua reminding him of what Moses had told him in the land which he could have. And that's actually what happens. Chapter 15 of Joshua, it is a long chapter of how the land of Judah or the people of Judah are uh, receiving their inherited their inherited land and actually as you go on many uh, avoid these chapters in joshua because they're just a lot of this is what clan of this tribe received this amount of land and this allotment and so on so there's really not a lot to say but i do want to remind you of this as we're reading chapter 14 as we're reading chapter 15 caleb engages with joshua reminding him of the promise um, chapter 15, the fulfillment of the land being allotted to the people after you know many battles, I just want to remind you of something that is very clear that maybe we miss if we just skip over these passages. And that is, is that God fulfills his promises. There was a promise that the people of God carried and this is where it was fulfilled. And so some, because we're looking for personal application when we read the Bible, we're not always looking for historicity and we're not looking for the big story of God promising a thing, leading a people who to some degree, or in many respects, at least at that time, were obedient to him. And then God is faithful to fulfill his word. And that's the part that I wanted to stop and just mention, because that's exactly what we read about. All of this allotment of land and inheritance is simply a reminder to us that the God that we are following, the God that gave us his words, that gave us his word, he is not slow in fulfilling and being faithful to his word. He will fulfill what he said he would do. And this is what we want to remember today. Be reminded that God will fulfill his word. Maybe there are promises in the word of God in your life that you've been praying and holding out on, believing for. Be sure of this. We're we're not following an empty book and we're not following a dead God. Jesus is alive, God is alive, his word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. If he said it, he will fulfill it. God is not a man that he should lie. His promises are as true today as they always have been. And we need to be encouraged and reminded that this is what God is like. He's not pulling a fast one on us. He's not forgetting about what he said. He doesn't need to necessarily be reminded, although in prayer we certainly do say, God, you said, and there's nothing wrong with that. But he does not forget. God is with us. God is for us. God is for his will and his word. And when we are following what his word and his will says, we will see it come to pass. If not initially, eventually. And this is what God is absolutely like. And this is what we read about from Joshua 14 on. And there are some other chapters that we will study some points that I'll make in these chapters. But let's move to Philippians chapter one. And there's some really powerful things here. And I'm sure that you in your own study have already seen this, but I just wanna point out some stuff that I think is very encouraging. And let's go ahead and read in verse one, Philippians chapter one. This is considered one of the prison epistles written by the hand of the apostle Paul, one of his 13 letters in the early church. He says this, Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, I just want to park right there because this is a verse that is well-worn and well-used by the people of God. If you haven't said it, you've heard it. Maybe you haven't heard it preached, but you've certainly heard it quoted. I hear it quoted all the time. He who, is faith, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Now, I have a pet peeve, and I'm going to let you know what that is today. I think that we, um, that we are guilty of inappropriately or misreading the Bible. Let's say it that way. I think we can be guilty of misreading the Bible. Ben, what do you mean by that? I mean that we read the Bible for ourselves as individuals, which in many respects, that's fine. But we don't understand the Bible appropriately because it wasn't necessarily always written to a person. This letter opens up and he goes into saying, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, there are house churches that Paul, was, uh, Paul had helped establish and they were flourishing at this time. That does, doesn't mean in all the times they were, but at this time there's a, a level of flourishing and multiplication that's happening. He's writing to a people. They were to receive one letter. They didn't have many letters. They had one. Just imagine if we had one book and we had no social media, we had no internet, we had no YouTube, we had none of that. What we wouldn't do is pass around the letter for each of us to read. What we would do is we would one person would read and they would read aloud in that house church. So seven, eight, nine of us would be hearing what Paul was reading. And so when he says to all the saints, it was inclusive of everybody that was hearing what Paul had been writing. Not one person had that letter. It was all of them at the same time. It was written to all of them. It was intended for all of them. In fact, 75% of the time, When the Apostle Paul uses the the word you, or even in the New Testament, Y-O-U, it isn't singular. It isn't to you as an individual. It's to you, plural, as a people. When you read the Bible and you know that it was written to a people and not just a person, it changes how we read it, or it should change how we read it. Now, we live in an individualistic society. We like to talk about our individual rights. It's what it's all about. I'm an individual. I'm independent. Th- this we understand from a, a, a patriotic sense. If we're from America, That's it's sort of a country that that, that, that we're, it's, we're founded on that, individual rights, independence, um, independence as a nation. But it's meant a lot more than that as the years have gone by. We notice how people constantly assert their individual rights. Now, again, I'm, I love our country, I'm, I'm an American, I'm thankful for that, but sometimes we got to be careful that we don't take our worldview into how we read something that was meant for people to read it. And this is actually one of those passages when Paul says, I am confident of this very thing that he who began to work in you, he wasn't just talking about somebody's individual sanctification. Now, can you read it that way? I guess. But I want you to broaden that in your mind and think about if Paul was saying that to your family and not just you as a person, maybe you as an individual, you have a certain struggle and you're thinking, he who began a good work is in you is faithful to complete it. You're thinking about that internal struggle. Well, God's going to deal with that thing. Well, there are a lot of other verses that could speak to our sanctification and work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works both in you uh, and to will... who. To will his will in you for his own good pleasure, working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That definitely is there's a there's an individualistic and there's a corporate understanding for that. But this is one of those verses where he he doesn't just mean our personal sanctification, he's talking about how we walk out and work out our community. God started something in this church with this people that he's going to complete. Now, they needed to read it that way, just like we need to read it for our family and not just as an individual. Don't separate yourself from your community. Now, if you're from Northwest Church, you're part of our church. And here's what I would say if I were if I were writing this or reading this, Northwest Church, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. What he began in Northwest Church, in us as a people, God is going to complete. That's the way that we need to actually read this because that's the way it was written. The grammar doesn't just suggest it. The grammar outright directs that. And I I think, again, we have to know when the Bible points something out to us as an individual, and then it points something out to us as a community. The more we understand how the Bible was written for into a community, the more understanding we will have in our interdependent connection that God himself has established. This is so important but the promise is this the in, the way it should be read is that way but the promise is that god is faithful just like we read in Joshua chapter 14 and 15 the things that he's promised what god has said in advance to us through his word god is going to do those very things as we put our hand to his word and to his ways be sure of that it may not happen suddenly it may not happen quickly but what god said he will do he will do And can I just say today, because we're living in a very strange time, and I can just tell you that um, as a pastor, um, I get a lot of emails, and I I want those emails. I'm grateful. But a lot of us are giving ourselves over to all kinds of conspiracy theories right now. There's every kind of meme and video and trailer clip and um, ideologies, worldviews, fear-mongering, Um, political agendas, everything you can think of is getting thrown at us right now. And, And unfortunately, some of us, we are giving ourselves over to some of that and only later finding out that a lot of these things aren't actually true. I want to warn you to be cautious today. I want to warn you to be cautious what you read, what you watch, what you hear, because a lot of stuff that's getting thrown at us has an agenda behind it. So if you're conservative, for example, there's going to be things that are going to cater to the conservative side and wanting to tell us what exactly is happening if you cater to the other side maybe we'll call that liberal not leftist i'm not going to speak of that but liberal side maybe you just you're all of you have a you grew up with a that kind of politics and you love the lord but you struggle politically maybe same with conservative maybe you're a moderate that's kind of what i am i'm somewhere in the middle that uh i certainly understand the sentiments of why people would be The way that they are, but politics for me, at least the political agenda, you know, that to me I struggle with. I don't struggle with politics. I struggle with the political agenda that is centered on man. What I long for, like everyone else, is righteousness in the land. What I long for is a morality that actually breeds health into our community. But I am very suspicious of the things that spin during times like this. And I have watched people become just Um, advocating for stuff that they later find out is not actually true. So I'm I'm a little more cautious. People want me to get up and speak up. I'm very prayerful right now. So there are things that I'm not going to say, but I I want I want to remind you of something that like even if we miss it, even if we miss something that we could have seen as the truth or or whatnot, what you what you can know is that God is faithful to complete it when we're following him. Now passivity is an issue. Apathy is an issue. But I'm dependent on God's word and I'm dependent on God's Holy Spirit to bring about revelation. And I don't think it's a time to be pressured by those that carry an agenda because you know what? A lot of people do have an agenda. They wanna push other people or manipulate them, even well-meaning people, to say what they want them to say. See, because it will validate how they feel. But a lot of folks right now are not that prayerful. They're not opening their hearts to God. They're not saying, God, what is your word? They're not saying, God, what are you saying? And I can tell you that there are things right now in the background that I am doing, things that I am reading, things that I am looking into and I haven't spoken about yet. And the reason that I'm doing my research is because I simply do not want to say that this is bad and be asked about it and not know why. And so it's important for me to do the research in the culture that we're in. But something I know is that God promises that he will be faithful to us as we follow his word and that's what we need to make sure that we're doing. Now that sometimes people push you they'll push us into thinking this is what his word would call us to do and they have their proof text for that. But I think we need to be faithful to God's word and be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 and study to show what somebody is saying and that's what I'm seeking to do that's what we need to seek to do. Sometimes we blow it. But here's the deal is we is we st- we fall down, we get back up. God's faithful to continue to lead us on. And that's what I'm encouraged by today. And I, I believe there's a time to take a stand on things. I believe there's a time to speak up on things, but we've got to be sure. And when we're sure, those are the, those are the hills that we'll die on. But I don't want to die on a on a, I don't want to die on a molehill. I want to die on a mountain. You know what I'm saying? So there's a reason, um, I believe that, that, uh, We need to take time to pray through and discern through these things. And Paul goes on to sharing some things like this. He says, for God is my witness how I long for you with all affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. We want discernment. We want to understand the will of the Lord. We want to hear God accurately. We don't want to push that off or passively not seek to understand in our culture and in our generation what God is saying through his word and by his spirit. But that's why, I mean, I read the news, I watch the news, I, I'm i into what's going on in our culture. So that when I speak up, I mean, I'm a, con, I'm a convicted pit bull. And when I lay hold of something, I don't let go. But be sure of this, um, we don't wanna be flimsy people. That's one thing we don't wanna be, is the winds and the waves. Doctrines and news can just knock us one way or the other in men's agenda to get the people to be like cattle to do what they want them to do. We are responsible to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we pray is we pray this very prayer. I pray that you may abound more and more in real knowledge and discernment. May God give us real knowledge and discernment that comes from Him. But as we are in community, collectively, God will speak to us. A, As well. And this is something that's a principle we cannot forget that God will give us more knowledge and discernment together because when Paul wrote this, he wrote it to people. He did not write it just to an individual. This is vital. He goes on to say in verse 12 Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment and the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Now leave it to the Apostle Paul to turn a prison sentence into an evangelistic crusade. This is what he's saying. He's saying, you guys that I'm writing to, you're discouraged and you're fearful and you're worried for me. Don't be worried for me. I may be in these chains, but these chains have actually become a freedom for many of the people who are under the praetorian guard. Those that are chained with me as as i'm he's actually preparing to at some point he's going to go stand before the emperor but he's actually sharing the gospel and he's encouraging all those that are believers and he says because i'm here and because of the way that i've been that it is strengthening and giving boldness to the believers that are here now now i want you to i want you to hear this for a second i was thinking about this today not only does does the apostle paul in prison care more about how the people are doing outside. He, he's not even asking for prayer. Think about that. He's suffering. He's in prison for righteousness, for the gospel's sake. And he's writing letters and he's not asking for prayer. What he's asking for, I mean, there's a couple times where he does, but what he's most concerned about, chapters and chapters and chapters, he's concerned about the people. He's like, I, I might be in these chains, but what I'm concerned about is how are you guys doing? And I'm praying for you. Think about the mindset that Paul has to have to even really share and show that in the situation that he's in. Sometimes we come into situations that are not even close. They don't even compare to what we're, what we're reading about in here. And, and again, let's just acknowledge it. There's, there's a grace on his life that we want on our life, that when we walk through hardship, it's not just, hey, will you pray for me? Yes, we want prayer from one another. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's a strength on his life that we want to pray into today. God, I I want that strength that we see in the Apostle Paul, that when he was imprisoned, that was an evangelistic crusade opportunity. He he turned his suffering into an opportunity. Now, certainly, he had his weak moments. Certainly, he had to cry out to the Lord. Certainly, he had to let people know how he was feeling. There's nothing wrong with that. We need to do that. But isn't it amazing that in his relationship with God, he found the grace in God. He found the grace through the Holy Spirit to continue to be the minister, in his suffering. I just love that. Suffering is not, um, it's not defeat. Suffering is not defeat. When we go through difficulty, when we suffer through something and we've done nothing wrong, particularly when we've done nothing wrong, whatever that suffering might be, first of all, Jesus sympathizes with our suffering. He's gone through everything from loss to being an innocent one that was put to death. As far as it can possibly go, he lost his friends. He lost he, he lost everything in And humanly speaking, he suffered at the hands of of those that he would give himself for. He was misunderstood. He was ridiculed. He was reviled. He was made fun of. I mean, and he was innocent the entire time. He's gone through every kind of suffering that we can imagine. He sympathizes with, with our weakness. But number two is we're going to read in chapter three, which is one of my favorite passages in this particular letter. There's a fellowship in his sufferings. There's a a fellowship of his sufferings. When we give over our suffering to him, and that's a daily thing. When we go through things, we give it over to him, and there's something sweet about the presence of God when we walk through difficulty, when we walk through situations, when we walk through loss, and instead of just turning inward, we continue to give it to him day by day, no matter how often we have to give it to him. As we do that, God ministers to our heart, and we find a fellowship of suffering because we continue to live a righteous life. We continue to give ourselves to him. We continue to say, not my will, but your will be done. My life is in your hands. This hurts, this is hard, this is difficult, but I still give you my life. When we continue to give our life to him every day, as we walk through things, what we will find is the same kind of fruitfulness that the apostle Paul found. Maybe not in like kind, but we will find a fruitfulness. Paul is able to say in his suffering, in his difficulty, in his discouragement, hey, I'm sharing the gospel with everyone here, and I'm strengthening the brothers. That's amazing. I mean, to me, that's just amazing. And that the way his example was, and this is, this is the word, right? Our example is what people see in us. Our reputation is what people hear or know about us. See, the Apostle Paul has quite a reputation. People have heard about him far and wide. This is the Apostle to the Gentiles. He's had this successful ministry. He started many churches. He's had many missionary journeys. Everybody knows of who who the Apostle Paul is, or at least they've heard of the the Apostle Paul. He's got all kinds of reputation. But it's amazing, in this moment, he doesn't rely on his reputation. He speaks of the example that he's able to bring in the prison, which is causing boldness to other believers, that they were probably discouraged. They were probably, in their suffering, Maybe they were just sulking. Maybe they were living in self-pity. Maybe they were living, you know, thinking about harming themselves, thinking about life is over. And they were just allowing that mindset to rest on them. But then they see Paul. And in the middle of his sufferings, his reputation means nothing because now he's in chains and everybody's looking at him there wondering how he's going to react. Is he one of us? Is he just going to be like one of us? Or does he have something with the Lord that we can glean from? And he does. So in his chains, he shows them that you can suffer in a way where you can still be fruitful. That's a, that's a word of God for us right now. Because his example is what they see in him. His reputation is what they've heard about him. We cannot rely on our reputation. Whatever the past was is what it was. But today is, we bring, is where we bring out an example of how we live. And it touches other people, whether we know it or not. It touches people's lives. Our example means everything. Our example means everything. He says people are bold to speak the word of God without fear. Some, some to be sure, are preaching Christ uh, even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress and imprisonment. Now he's even saying there are two kinds of people right now. There are some, and these people are preaching it uh, just as I am, the defense of the gospel. They're proclaiming it properly. And he said there are some who are preaching out of selfish ambition, envy, and strife, and they want to actually cause some kind of harm to me. I do I, not I even fathom that. I mean, there's just some kind of competitive spirit that he's referencing. And, and I think we skip over that part, but he's saying the way they're doing it is actually to irritate me. That's, that's unfathomable. But he says this, what then, only then... In every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. He's just saying, hey, the name of Jesus is spreading. I don't even care. Because the truth of Jesus will surpass the lies or the motivations of men that are not properly preaching him. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything. But that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. And this is actually probably where we want to close And just saying this, is that something that we have to acknowledge as we read this letter, especially this chapter, is the Apostle Paul had given up his fear of death. That's what he had given up. And, and you know that because he goes on to say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's, that's we hear about that. But have you ever appropriated that to your life? And I, I'll just be honest with you, sometimes I have it. Sometimes I haven't, I haven't thought about it in those terms, like whatever death may be or what, however death may come, I'm not afraid of it. But what is more of a fear for us or should be, as I believe the Apostle Paul is getting to, is that we would ever not give our lives for Christ. It's to say that I'm not afraid of death um, I think he could say that because he was confident of how he lived his life. See, see sometimes we misunderstand to, to to not fear death because we don't care is not the same spirit that Paul was speaking in. Paul was saying, "For me to live, right, is Christ." If it's 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 but for me to die is gain. It's a personal thing to gain. Like I want to go be with the Lord, but to live is is about Christ and his purpose. He could say, I'm not afraid of death because I'm living for Christ. I think the reason that we have a lot of regret in our life is because we don't feel the same way. We don't feel like our life is actually being lived in a way where it honors the Lord. Now we're not perfect. And so we don't want to bring some kind of religious false guilt over our lives. Like, oh, I'm not perfect in my life. It's just, it's not the way it should have been. It's like, okay, we'll join the club, you know? But it's, it's that, is, the, is there this deep motivation? Are we seeking to honor God? Are, are we seeking to give more of our life to God? Are we expecting, is our hope built on this? This whole chapter, if we're going to get into the mindset of the Apostle Paul, if we're going to be people that are going to live like what we're reading about right now. We've got to remember that it all comes from a mindset, not from a man. This is not about Paul being different than us. This is about a mindset that he had, the mind of Christ, that he was willing to put his life into the hands of the Lord Jesus every day of his life. And that's the life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. That whether you're in chains, whether you're suffering, whether you're living in abundance, whether you're living in quarantine whether you're living free to run about or do whatever whatever life is like whether your business is thriving or whether it's barely getting by whether we're we're facing this this increase or we're living in decrease whatever life is do we maintain that mindset that we are all about Christ because if we do we're not not only are we not afraid of death we're not we're not afraid of of the life that unfolds in our future because ultimately it's not about abundance or increase or security. And can I just say, I have heard many, many Christians during this season, and, and, and forgive me if this is misunderstood, but I don't mean it to be brash and brazen, but, but, but I just want to tell you what happens in my mind when I hear statements. During the season of quarantine, not only America, but the whole world is going into, uh, it's an international debt that is going, going right now. But I continue to hear out of Christians' mouths, like, our children are going to pay for this. Okay, um, that sounds like a very fearful statement to me. Our children are going to pay for this. Here, here, here's the thing, okay, maybe they will. But when we put our whole life into the hands of the Lord Jesus, and I need you to hear me on this because, because it, we get to choose the voice that we're listening to and the voice that we're speaking from. And I choose not to make those kind of comments. And here's why. Because I'm not necessarily as afraid of where our country goes as I am of my kids not walking in the will and the ways of Jesus Christ, just to be honest with you. That might sound radical. And to some people, it sounds unpatriotic. And I don't mean it that way. What I mean is that we choose how we live our life. I didn't choose that I was born in any country. I didn't choose any of that. I'm thankful of who I am. I'm thankful of where I am, all of that. But most of all, I'm thankful that I follow Jesus. I'm thankful that he opened my eyes. I'm thankful that I'm a Christian. And if he sends me around the world and I never come back to this country, so be it. If my kids feel called to another nation and God says, go, and they follow him, that's all I care about. What I care about is not necessarily the national debt. I want our leaders to live righteously, I want us to, to follow what I think is good common sense as a government. But I'm highly invested and mostly invested into the kingdom of heaven. And my mind, I want to have the mindset, Paul's not thinking about, I wonder how Rome is doing, or I wonder how Israel is prospering at this time. You know, he's thinking about how he's living before God. He's thinking about, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean, this is like... The summary of a man's mindset while he's in chains, the the worst place he could be, he's facing impending death, okay? Just think about facing death. What are you really gonna say? What are we gonna say? What's gonna come out of our mouth? What are we gonna be thinking about for our children? If we're in chains, if we're suffering at that degree, what is really gonna be on our mind? Our kids are gonna pay for the, the trillions of dollars of debt. No, no, that's not gonna be on our mind. What's gonna be on our mind? is do my kids really follow Jesus? Did I really live as an example? See, so now to me, to live is Christ because everything that I do from here forward has got to be an example of Jesus Christ, him crucified, buried, and resurrected, and the power of his spirit living through my life as a bold witness. Maybe I'm not effective in everything I say and do, but I'm going to give my life every day into his hands that he would use my life as an extension of his life. That's what I care about. That's what I want for my children. That's what I want as an example in front of everybody else. I don't know where every country and nation and and the trajectory of all that. I certainly seek the good and the welfare of our city. And I seek the good and the welfare of our country and the nations of the world. I have the nations on my heart. But listen to me very carefully. When we're facing death, what we're going to be thinking about is the example that we left behind. It might sound radical, but this is the Apostle Paul. And so I can't read his thirteen letters without thinking like that. And a man that's facing death, he's 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 contemplating that if I if I get any more days, if I have any more days, weeks, months to live, for me to live is Christ, it's all about Christ, one hundred percent, not ten percent, not twenty percent, but Christ. And so sometimes I hear these statements come out of our mouth, and they're just they're just about fear. Well, our kids are going to pay for that. Listen, suffering right now, this suffering that many are facing has an answer to it. And it is not found in the government. It is not going to be found in balancing the budget. It is not going to be found in the leader that we have, a new leader that we might have, or the same leader that we have, or the presidential election, or even how the quarantine is being handled. I'm as frustrated about this as anybody else, but I've got to put my whole hope in Jesus Christ and his mission. And it's a mindset that has to be maintained. It has to be maintained. And even when the the boat rocks... We've got to maintain our mindset. Now I'm studying behind the scenes and trying to figure out the life that we need to live during this time, and how we need to speak up. Today I'm calling the governor. I'm I'm calling the city of Federal Way. I'm calling the um, I'm going to call the police department down the street. I'm going to let them know our plans, and I'm submitting a letter of uh, I'm submitting an agenda letter to the governor, and I'm submitting a letter a plan a proposal. And I'm considering. I'm asking them to consider seriously, and I'm going to put this letter in front of them every week to consider the church being the hope of the world, unashamed. I'm, I felt like the Lord woke me up and said, you're not waiting for any, the government to lead. You need to lead. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm just letting you know. I'm not letting the government lead me. I need to hear the Holy Spirit, and this is what he put on my heart. So I'm putting together this whole letter and this whole plan of, of opening up the church, which is why we're going to do prayer drive-in services, and we're just going to rattle our city. And so, but I'm just not going to speak in response to what happens around me. I want to speak in response to the missional mindset that God has given to me in the life that I live. And the one thing I want to be is an example. I want people to be able to see in me what I believe we can see right here in the Apostle Paul as he's facing impending death. I don't mean to get on any soapbox. I'm not anti-government. I'm not just being Mr. Complicit. I'm, I'm saying that there's just something about suffering that draws other voices and things out of us that we say and that we do. And maybe there's a real, the reality to that, but I just, I challenge fear. I challenge fear in us. What are we afraid of? We should be more afraid that our children, that our young people, that our society does not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. There should be a serious outcry, in my opinion, that, The gospel of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the power of Jesus is not being revealed in our daily lives. This isn't to guilt any of us. I don't want to guilt Christians. I think we've been been guilty of guilting each other. This is not guilt. This is just saying, I pray that God would inspire us in this season more than ever to not be a voice of fear, whether it's a political side or whatever, to know our politics, to understand I'm conservative, I'm morally conservative, I would say, I'm moderate in my politics I can understand certain things in different places, but what I'm an advocate for is people not just living and suffering and hoping to get out of it, but people thriving and suffering and giving their life into the hands of the Lord Jesus and to see his mission move forward because our mindset is already made up before we ever get into a place of suffering, before we ever hit a difficulty, before we ever go through something that's hard. We have a mindset. Now, we have to maintain that mindset every day by giving, it, giving ourselves to the Lord, but the reality is, is that we cannot read a chapter like this from the Apostle Paul writing to a church where he's more concerned about how they're doing than how he is. He's more concerned about their suffering and their difficulty, feeling afraid that he's in chains, like, oh, what's going to happen to the gospel? He says, nothing, the gospel's going to thrive. Guys, the gospel's going to thrive. Put me in prison and I'm going to hold a crusade. Put me in quarantine and I'm going to get online and I'm going to send out texts every day. Okay, I'm going to call and I'm going to start encouraging people and I'm going to reach out to more people. Hey, you try to put me in a place that looks like you're going to silence me. And what's really going to happen is God's going to use me for his voice more than he ever has. That, to me, is having the right kind of mindset regardless of what we go through. And as we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, he's going to tell us what to do. He's going to show us where to go. He's going to show us what to do. I can tell you that from experience. God is leading me in certain ways that I wouldn't have predicted or I wouldn't have thought of. And uh, and I'm not making them all like a, a, a spectacle or trying to just be out loud to let everybody know I care about stuff. The Lord knows and we need to do what he tells us to do. And that's what it's all about. And so anyways, I've, I've got a little bit on my soapbox. If you've got any questions about that, um, you can email me. Forgot my email address. I'm just joking. Ben at NWC4Square.org. Let's pray. Let's pray into having Christ's mindset. Let's pray into not allowing our suffering to be our sentence, but rather that our suffering could be the moment where we could thrive and really give our hearts and our lives over to Jesus every day. You have to do it every day. This is not just a one-time deal. We've given our life to Jesus salvationally, you know, maybe a long time ago, but every day we continue to give ourselves over to Him, and every day He will continue to use us. Maybe we don't see it, but the effect will equal an example that people around us will glean from, will grow from. That's what we want. Lord, make me an example like Paul, like what we read about and how we're encouraged today. Father, we thank you today for your word. And God, I'm just reminded today that uh, every time I open the Bible, I'm encouraged. And God, without your word and without your spirit, we're just fickle people trying to figure out. Um, what's true with all the voices coming at us, all the things coming at us left and right, the times that we're living in—we've never been through some of this stuff before—and here we are, just trying to grapple with what's going on and what are we supposed to say, and when are we supposed to push back, and what voice are we supposed to have? And Lord, I just pray that that we would be Your voice, we would be Your mouthpiece, we would be Your hands, we would be Your feet. And I just admit, Lord, there there are so many times I have no I have no idea what that is generally. I think I know specifically, I, I, I just admit we can struggle. I can struggle with that. And so we invite you right now, God, to, to truly and intentionally and seriously speak into our lives, speak into our hearts, guide us, give us courage. The things you might ask us to do, we'll, we'll we'll need courage for that. It won't be to be passive or apathetic or to sit back, but it will be, God, to stand up and to speak up at times. But I pray that when we do it, we're confident that it's you, that it's not an echo of someone else, but it's actually your voice. We look at Paul, he was imprisoned, and he encouraged the church, saying, Listen, don't shrink back. I'm concerned about you. My imprisonment has equaled more people coming to Christ and more people being bolder than ever before. God, I pray that we would be an example. I pray that you would make us an example in our circle. I pray that no matter what we're walking through, I pray for my friends today that if they're suffering, if they're facing or battling loss or regret or anxiety or difficulty, I pray that they need not feel guilty. But Lord, you ask us every day to just submit ourselves to you freshly again. And that's what we do. Today, we give you ourselves. We give you our mind, that you would give us the mind of Christ. We give you our heart, that we would have your compassion, that we would feel what you feel, that we would know what you want us to know that we would do what you want us to do. Give us your convictions. God, and I pray for a fresh discernment that as stuff is being lodged at us, that has so much agenda attached to it to manipulate us, to tell us what to do and how to do it. I pray, God, that we would stray from the herd of the world and we would be the sheep of your pasture. And Lord, whatever that costs, it costs. But whatever that means, Lord, we pray that we would know. Help us, God, to, to, to live in this world and not be of it. And I pray that we would not not make fearful statements with our mouths, Lord, but we would make faith-filled statements that come from your word. That we're not just optimists, but what we're after is a kingdom that people cannot see right now. That there is a day coming where you will come back and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. It's very clear that we are shipwrecking this planet and we have done so for as many years as human beings have been alive. We have not stewarded this earth in a proper way. We have not stewarded the systems and the structures of this world in a way that pleases you, in a way that honors you, in a way that acknowledges you. And so, Lord, it, does, it doesn't surprise us that it does get, in many ways, worse and worse. But what our hope and our expectation is set on, like an anchor, is your kingdom because you're our king. And so we listen to you. And we ask you, Lord, to inform us and how we are to be and how we are to live in this world. And Lord, let, let us be fixed on the gospel. Let us be fixed on the gospel. Let us be fixed on being an example to people that are going through it right now, that we would not just be of the mindset that this is bad, this is horrible, this is terrible. Paul could have been that in prison, but what he was is he was focused on being a fruitful voice and having a fruitful life in the midst of suffering. May we do the same thing. God, make us people that have that kind of example that others can glean from and look to because it looks more and more like you. We love you, Lord, and I thank you. Bless my friends today. Strengthen our hearts today. Teach us to walk in your way in Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening.